Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. Hi, and welcome back to Hack the Process. If you're enjoying the show, or if you have feedback about it, please leave a comment on iTunes and let me know. In this episode, we talk to Alex de Simone, a serial entrepreneur who helped found the popular job search site Jobber, which is optimized to support both candidates and recruiters. He's currently launching his second company, Caller Zen, which is based on insights he had about how millennials expect customer support to work. And he's still just in his second year of an MBA program at Stanford. Find out how this busy fellow uses his interests to strengthen his personal network, what his experiences have taught him about leveraging two-sided marketplaces, and his opinions about the relevance of business school in the current business climate. And you'll have to check out the links in the show notes if you want to find out more about Alex's role as lead vocalist for 90s cover band Cloning Dolly, which he says is run as an RAAS startup, and that's rock as a service. This is Alex de Simone, and uh, he is, well, why don't you tell folks what you've been doing lately? Sure. Uh, so I'm currently a second year student at Stanford Graduate School of Business, and recently I launched a product that focuses on providing customer support software to businesses so they can interact with their customers via text messaging. <laughs> so you're a student, but at the same time, you're also out there launching businesses. Yeah, I, so this goes back to what I was doing before uh, starting at the business school. And I helped a few buddies. We, we started a company uh, called Jobber, which uh, intended to match recruiters with candidates. And the motivation there was really, here's an opportunity to build something really cool. And a lot, you know, a few of us had that experience uh, having worked together at a startup in SF called MoveWeb. And so we thought, how can we, how can we use these tools we've learned, how to program and combine it into something that can actually help people get jobs or find people. And so it's really that motivation of taking something we're we're capable of doing a skill that we've found useful and uh, combining it with something the market might need. Was this was this was before you actually considered going back to business school or were you already on your we already started there? So this is right after I got the yes from business school. Uh, I heard back in January of 2014 and school started September. So I had this time gap from January to September. Uh, a few business school students tend to travel. Um, others, you know, stay with their current employer. I thought this would be a great time to give this whole entrepreneur thing a shot. And so uh, less risk for me to do that. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, it ended up being a, a a company that's still going strong and the, the team is just crushing it right now, which is great. That's wonderful to hear. How did you get that? How did you get Jobber started then? I mean, you, you're basically, you're a full-time employee. You're planning to be a student. How do you get the, uh, the resources and the, the team together for, uh, for making something like that happen? Yeah. So the idea came about, uh, with my roommate, TJ, who, uh, you know, had this great idea if we could just match, 
folks in a Tinder fashion, uh, that would be a very engaging tool. And so once we had the idea, then the thinking was, how do we build it? And I had been talking to a really good friend of mine, Hari, at MoveWeb. He loved the idea, and basically we said, let's give this a shot. And so he had the knowledge to build uh, the iOS app, and then um, you know, I had background in web development, and then another MoveWeb friend, Shane, who uh, is a phenomenal developer, joined us as well. And so that's that was the combination of the idea, the market expertise that TJ had, and the, the skill to build it. But uh, when you're building something like that, I mean, a lot of people build something and it's just basically it sits there. How did you get that from being just an idea that you were putting together a prototype that you put out there get to get it out into the market and actually get people involved? Yeah. So we thought what could be the, you know, sort of a catchy phrase that could uh, get people interested in this. And so Tinder, uh, which had been gaining a lot of popularity at the time, uh, you know, had this really slick swipe. And so we thought, how can we uh, create a tool that offers, you know, swipe on both ends, both the recruiter and the candidate in a way that it's mutually uh, opting in. And so uh, we thought of that as a, as a, you know, catchy tagline. And so sure enough, we, we were lucky to get some press, which uh, helped spread the word about Tinder for jobs and people started downloading it. And, uh, you know, and then the rest is, uh, is just figuring out how to grow that product out. So once you get a certain number of candidates, how do you incent recruiters to come onto the platform? And so that was a lot of what we focused on in the early days. I, I like that. So you're capitalizing on what was popular at the time, and it was just something that caught on because it was it it was something familiar for people. But getting that that press that's sometimes a hard thing to do. What did, did you do anything special to get that kind of attention? Yeah, um, we just tried to talk to as many folks as we could, you know, share the idea with them. And uh, we were fortunate enough for, you know, to get some press at TechCrunch the same day we launched. And so that helped us tremendously to open up the scope of, you know, our audience. Uh, a few days later, ABC picked it up on a national level. And I think the interesting part about that was that this applied to a wide audience, right? most people in America either have or would like to have a job. And uh, a lot of folks knew what Tinder was. And if they didn't, it was still okay because the concept of a job is just so uh, global. So that I think was one of the reasons ABC thought it was very interesting. And so we were up on the homepage of ABC technology, which uh, got us, you know, a lot of our very early traffic. That'll get you the traffic, but then of course it's up to you to hold on to it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And so uh, then early on, we focused on how can we make sure the app is still up and, you know, our servers are still running to make sure we don't go down. And also, how can we get everyone's input, right? That was a big question and, and make sure that we're building something that people want and it, and it has the features that they're looking for. How did you manage to scale this thing? We noticed we had candidates downloading the app, uh, but then, you know, like in many two-sided marketplaces, usually one's a challenge and the other one is also a challenge. Uh, for us, it was not too much of a challenge to get users, but it was a lot more challenging to bring recruiters on board. And so what we did is we, we made sure there were jobs on the platform. And so as candidates started swiping on the jobs, we started collecting data. And on the, op on the opposite end, not all jobs had recruiters assigned to them. 
but once we had enough data, we'd go reach out to the recruiters and say, hey, there are 500, 600 people swiping on this job at your company. Would you like to check them out? And that's how we would try to bring recruiters in uh, so that they could see the value that was being created. Well, it sounds like that personal outreach was a big part of the effort then. Yep. So we spent a lot of time in the beginning uh, reaching out to recruiters and really trying to get them on board. That's fascinating. And at this point, um, are recruiters more coming to you than you're going to them? Yeah, I, at this point, so fast forward to now, um, I'm an advisor at Jobber. And, and so the team has been focusing on, uh, you know, how to, how to be able to onboard all of this volume that comes in from recruiters so that they can post a job. And then also if they have questions, uh, you know, our team, uh, still a small team, but I think they're doing a great job of, you know, being responsive and being able to onboard them in a, in a great manner. That's fantastic. And uh, what kind of resources did it take to, to get this together? Because, I mean, you talked about the, the people involved, but it's not, it doesn't, that doesn't sound like the sort of thing that you can do without at least some capital investment as well. Yeah, so on the capital end, we, um, we were able to raise a seed round in July of 2014. And so that was, that was critical to scaling the team up and other resources we used, uh, you know, mentorship from not only investors, but also advisors. Uh, they were really important to us in the beginning. How did you build up that network? So I've been in the Bay area for probably six years now. And I think, um, it, it just takes time, right? I mean, you, you meet somebody in one neighborhood and you get to know them, uh, you know, you get introduced through mutual friends. Um, I think that's been a part of how I like to build my network. Um, you know, certainly it helps to be uh, working at a tech company. So both Hari and I were working at MoveWeb. Uh, TJ's background is in investing. So he worked in venture capital and, and at hedge funds. So for him, uh, that was part of the piece that helped us, you know, get funding. And uh, we brought on the technical expertise from having backgrounds in engineering. That's fantastic. So just being being in the right city and having the right attitude to be able to go out there and make those networks happen, that's uh, that's really important. When you started uh, your current company, and I know you just recently launched a company as well, did you follow a similar pattern? Yep. Um, similar pattern. Uh, the, the concept is a little bit different. So Jobber is... Um, more consumer facing that the product I'm building now is has a little more focus on enterprise. So companies that want to have a tool to chat with their customers via text is, uh, it's something that I think is, you know, product that, that really hasn't been shown in the market yet. Um, there are very few companies kind of focusing on an off the shelf product. Uh, and so the approach there is, you know, to, to be honest, kind of similar to Jobber in the sense that you have, um, you know, it really helps to get press as well. Uh, but at the same time, it's not quite a two-sided marketplace um, because the product I'm building, it's a tool that companies can use, uh, assuming that their customers already contacted, you know, contact them through phone or email. Um, that part of the of the marketplace is already coming in. So. The, the challenge with the current company I'm working on is how do I provide a tool that ties into an existing workflow that a company might have in terms of customer support. 
How, how did you recognize that this particular uh, workflow issue was a problem that needed solving in the marketplace? So it really comes down to the original motivation that I felt, which is I hate calling customer support and waiting on hold. <laughs> Scratching your own itch. <laughs> yeah, and I've realized, I mean, the, this is a, a problem a lot of people have uh, have told me about, and I constantly, at least, I wish I could just text this business uh, is something I've heard several times. And so thinking through what currently works, um, you know, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I think call centers are incredibly inefficient. It's tough when you are a business and you don't know what somebody is calling about, but you have them, you know, in a queue waiting on hold. If there were a way to know what a customer wants, uh, then it's easier for the business to prioritize. And so really the pain point is on both sides. And I've seen it both as a customer and also as a business owner. So at Jobber, you know, we, we got a ton of requests uh, through email, through, uh, you know, by phone. And so figuring out exactly what the needs are of your customers and also being able to have a channel by which they'll give you direct feedback is really important. No, that's interesting, of course, because Jobber, of course, has a very mobile, mobile-oriented user base, and so you were directly experiencing this pain from your through your customers. Are you developing this yourself, or do you have folks working with you on it? Uh, I've got a few folks helping out, but for the most part, uh, just me right now. <laughs> it pays to have that engineering background. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, you're turning yourself into a unicorn. You're doing the business school. You're doing the engineering. Well, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, <laughs> I certainly love the engineering side. I, I've always said uh, I'll, I'll continue building things as long as I have that, you know, itch. And and so far, I've I've determined I still want to do that. So that's great. Uh, but now being in business school, I've realized the importance of, you know, a lot of these things that you really do. I think only learn at business school. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of folks say, oh, if you had money, you know, would you spend it on starting a company or going to business school? And I think this is a really interesting topic. Uh, for me, I've realized that there are things you absolutely learn by doing that you will not learn at business school. Uh, but having been now through, you know, halfway through business school, I've noticed there's a ton of things you learn in school that you just don't get to uh, don't get to see in, in life, um, you know, in in as, as you start building a company. So I think both have its advantages. And, you know, if you could, if you could leverage both, then, then I think that's, that's a great way to go. That's interesting. What, what are some of the most eye-opening topics that you've studied at business school that you w weren't expecting? The number one thing I've noticed so far is uh, interpersonal dynamics. And this is a, a very famous class at the Stanford GSB. Um, you learn how, to interact with folks and it's on many levels. So it's not just business. Um, it also expands to, you know, relationships, uh, personal relationships. And, and it, what it gets down to is how do you, how are you more aware of both your surroundings and how what you're saying or, or doing affects somebody else. And oftentimes I think in business, um, you know, a lot of difficult conversations aren't handled the right way. Um, and so a lot of the things we learn is how do you go through a conversation if you're firing someone? Or, you know, how do you deal with something really tricky where 
you know, someone in your organization has done something and you need to figure out a way to, to smoothen it out. Do you communicate it to the whole company? Do you communicate it to only a few individuals? And so a lot of these uh, interpersonal dynamics are, are really important to the business and can sometimes even kill a business. So uh, that, for me, that class has been one of my, one of my most important ones. Hmm. Did, did you uh, realize anything in particular about yourself and your own interpersonal dynamics when you were taking the class? Yeah. Uh, one thing I learned is that really successful leaders tend to play many different roles in terms of their personality and they have an awareness of when to play one role versus another. And so there's research behind all this. Um, you know, some people choose to believe in it. I, I buy into it. I think there are four distinct roles uh, that we learn in this interpersonal dynamics class. And the four roles are mover, opposer, follower, and observer. Mover, and, opposer, follower, and observer. Okay. Yeah. And, and what those mean are basically... Uh, there are times where you'll need to be the mover as a leader, right? And you'll need to guide folks in, into the direction you think is the right one. Uh, but there may be other times where listening is more important and you might want to play the observer role. Uh, and what I've learned about myself is that, you know, I've, I've, been, I've done a decent job at some of the roles, but other roles I have not done a great job. And so uh, it's, it's really being aware of which role is important at which time. Which, which roles do you tend to find yourself fitting into most comfortably? I tend to fit comfortably in the following role and the observer role. Um, what I've learned to improve during my time at business school is more the mover and the opposer. And I think that opposing for the sake of opposing is, is not great. But I think something that really happens uh, in early teams and even later stage companies uh, is this concept of groupthink, where everybody might, you know, say yes, and then you don't really have a debate, or you might not have an argument just for the sake of everyone wanting to agree with everyone. Uh, and the problem with that is that you might have not led everybody to the best outcome. And so if you have an opposer within the group, it sparks up a conversation. You know, it doesn't mean they don't like you. It just means, hey, uh, I think this, and then it, you know, brings about a conversation which could lead you to a better outcome, a better decision. I could definitely see that. And uh, I'm, I'm imagining that you launched Jobber and then you went to school and now you're launching um, CollarZen, right? Is the name of the company? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious whether that learning, if you think back on your experiences at Jobber, if there's, there are things that you think you might've done differently. Differently from when we launched Jobber. Mm -hmm. um, I would say... I would say we spent a lot of time thinking about what the product could be, but we didn't quite do as many interviews with customers as we should have. Uh, that's a mindset that I've learned through the business school. We have a class called Lean Launchpad, which uh, basically encourages you to interview 15 to 20 folks a week. And the professors are very strict about that. Um, you know, they'll check up on you and make sure you're interviewing everyone. So the thing I'm doing differently now is just trying to talk to as many customers as possible. And that's something we did with Jobber, but, you know, there's always room for, 
for more. And I think with the early stages of a company, it's just critical to know exactly what your customers want or need. And a lot of times they don't know what they want or need. But if you could maximize those conversations, uh, you might learn that, you know, there's a bigger pool somewhere else. And if you want to tap into it, uh, you might not have even thought you could. You might be able to. That is awesome advice. I'm curious. Uh, now I want to know more about those interviews. How do you structure them and what sorts of things go into them? Yeah, great question. So um, a lot of these interviews could start with uh, simple questions. Uh, there's another great class I've taken at, at the Stanford Business School, which focuses on curiosity. It's a sales class, but it's really about asking questions. And one thing we've learned is that folks really often ask closed-ended questions. And so what happens when you ask a closed-ended question, uh, you, you force the person you're asking to either say yes or no. And that could be good sometimes, but most of the time, what you really want if you're selling a product or you're trying to get information from someone is to let them talk. And so often people find themselves talking too much in interviews. So one thing that's important about the interview is let let the person being interviewed talk and ask them open-ended questions. So something, you know, better than a yes, no question would be, how do you feel about this on a scale of one to 10? Or, um, you know, what's your ideal product? What, what, what's the ideal solution for you when it comes to customer support? And so by framing the interview, like it should be, you know, an interview, you ask open-ended questions, let the person build some trust in you, and that way you could get more information and maybe even close, you know, close faster if you're, if you're trying to sell a product. It, you're uh, developing skills like a journalist. I'm curious, um, just down to the nitty gritty of the process that you go through, how do you track and uh, record and then evaluate those interviews? Because that's a lot of, a lot of raw information that comes from people talking. Absolutely. Lots of raw data. Um, I can't say I've recorded that many uh, just because that would be a bit overwhelming, but I do keep a notepad and funny enough, one of the goals I've set this year is to interview a hundred people. And so uh, in this notepad, you know, I number them and then I ask questions and then I take notes on each page. Um, so simple notes is one way. I mean, taking notes on a laptop, uh, could also help. But what I, what I see myself doing actually is converting all of these interviews into the notepad. Um, it's, it's one of the ways I, I like to, uh, convert, you know, everything just to pen and paper and also helps me feel present when I'm with someone at an interview. So I'll, I'll try to avoid being in front of computer. Yeah. I well, So you're old school about taking notes by hand. I know some people are, are uh, they really feel like that cements the idea into their heads. Um, how, how do you then go through and like do cross-checking or is this really just something that happens inside your head after you've done a whole bunch of interviews, you start to see the patterns? Yeah, that's a great question. If there were a tool out there that, that might be useful to start seeing patterns, uh, right now I'm, I just try to do it in my head. If, if there's something that I hear constantly from, uh, from customers or, you know, businesses that, think they'd want to use a tool like what I'm building, uh, you know, I'll just make a note of it. Um, actually, today, there was a really interesting conversation I had with a classmate who 
proposed putting a page on my product's website that polls folks, you know, what, what type of integration would you like to see? And then if, uh, if they just upvote which integration they want, that could actually, uh, you know, be another data point for me to understand what needs to be on the roadmap. Almost like a feature set list. Um, thought that was pretty interesting. That is a good idea. Of course, the, the tricky part is, and I know this from my own personal experience, people don't always tell you what they actually want. They tell you what they think you want to hear, and they tell you what's on the top of their minds. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why it's important to keep it as a data point. I think ultimately you'll have to make the decisions, you know, or your team will have to make those decisions. But yeah, it, it's great to get more data. So, um, so I know about Jobber and I know about Callers and uh, these are the two companies I know of that you started. Have you also tried other things that just haven't quite made it out the door? Not quite. Um, there is one side project that I've been working on with a buddy for fun. Uh, don't think it would be a huge business opportunity, but it goes back to, so my background is actually in mechanical engineering and I've always had a passion for building things you know, whether they're physical or now I'm focusing on the software side of things, but um, we built a power meter for a bicycle, which measures your power based on the wind speed. And so we have a prototype. I mean, we've, we've done this for fun. Uh, so there's no, there's no company, doesn't have a name on it, but um, yeah, I do envision at some point we'll, we'll keep putting time into it. It's, it's a fun way to, it's a fun and cheaper way to track your power if you're really into cycling. Um, I, I could see some enthusiasts that uh, who would really enjoy something like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a small community, but again, it's it's a product that a power meter right now can cost you between seven hundred and you know three thousand uh, dollars. We built the prototype off of I think it was like one hundred and twenty bucks, um, and it works pretty well. So we we were excited about that. We still are. Well, I will put a link in the show notes to your contact information so people can get in touch with you if they're enthusiastic about that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Send them our way. <laughs> so you get a lot done. I mean, you're, you're doing your school, you're doing advising for one business, you're starting up another business. Can you tell me a little bit about what your routine is? How do you keep yourself organized? Yeah, that that's a tricky one, uh, given that there's so much going on at Stanford Business School. And, you know, part of the reason I... I I came to school was to really get to know my classmates, uh, get to know my professors. Um, and so, you know, that, that's certainly a priority right now since it's a here and now time for it. Um, but certainly I love coding. So, you know, I told myself I'd allocate enough time to that. Um, you know, bring, taking this company forward, obviously coding is important because that's a lot of the, the features that that are being built out right now. Um, I'd like to cycle, so that's uh, that's one of my activities. Um, I try to do it every week. Um, that's sort of a great way for me to start my day. Uh, just go on an early bike ride, whether it's with friends or or alone. And a lot of my schedule right now revolves around classes, so you know I'll have chunks of time during the day where uh, allocate that towards class. And then there's time between, which is uh, useful to meet up with folks 
Um, Wednesdays at the GSB, there are no classes, uh, both during first year and second year. A, a few classes here and there, but for the most part, Wednesdays are a great day to sit down and focus on, um, you know, more more time-consuming things like like programming. That makes sense. Um, so do you find yourself following sort of a daily pattern that's consistent from day to day, or does it really change from day to day? I would say it changes from day to day, and it even changes from week to week. Um, so, so quite variable. Um, you know, there are weeks where we don't have class, and that's a great time to spend uh, either working on the company or or traveling with classmates. We've had some really great trips. Um, you know, during the two years of the MBA program, it's it's almost impossible. I, I, can, I can imagine it'll be impossible to have that time with them after we all graduate. Everybody's going to be, you know, doing something different. So uh, taking advantage of that precious time is also great. Not, with so many things that you're trying to get done, how do you manage to keep yourself motivated to, to keep your energy up? I'm driven to build stuff. I, I love building things. And so I think that's been something that I learned from my dad. Um and when it comes to, you know, building these companies, uh, I just keep thinking, thinking about my dad and wanting to, uh, you know, follow that, that passion, that drive that he had. And so that's, that's one of my big motivators. He was very hands-on, you know, we, we had a lot of power tools at home. Uh, you know, I think that could have been a dangerous thing considering I was, I was pretty young, but, uh. You know, that, that for me was just great. I, I loved getting my hands involved, you know, cutting wood and doing all sorts of things a five-year-old should not be doing. But I, so I used to, um, there was one, I remember one time I was a little bit older. I think I was around seven. My tape recorder uh, or tape player, at the time I had lots of tapes. I was very into music, especially 90s rock. And I remember I had this uh, cassette player that wouldn't rewind. And so you had to, uh, you know, grab a pen and you turn it and, and it was very manual. I didn't think you'd be old enough to remember cassette players like that. <laughs> and, you know, I could have I could have asked my parents to buy a new one, you know, because it didn't rewind. But I saw a drill and I said, oh, here's a pen. Here's a drill, you know, somehow managed to fudge it into the bit. And, uh, and that's how I rewinded my tapes with this drill. I, I would just power align them it was uh it was pretty fun so always hacking to make things happen i i, I admire that and um, you say you studied did you study mechanical engineering then the funny thing is that i actually transitioned from mechanical engineering to consulting uh and then from consulting to software um i would say generally i i noticed the the trends you know the growing trends in software i i noticed it was a very uh, hot job to have, you know, it, especially here in the Silicon Valley, you can never get an, enough uh, developers. But for me, it was something that I didn't quite do a lot of in undergrad. Uh, so my focus during undergrad, and then I went on to Stanford to do a master's in mechanical engineering uh, in fluid mechanics. So you know, that's sort of the tie between uh, what I studied and my interest in these power meters for for cycling, but fluid mechanics um, was is a very interesting field that I still feel 
you know, passionately about. Um, and I was initially looking to do a PhD. And so uh, I was doing a lot of research at Stanford um, and then realized that, you know, the PhD wasn't quite for me. Uh, I wanted to get some experience, you know, in, in the real world. And I thought, let me go work in consulting for a bit. And if I really miss it, I'll, I'll try to come back. Um, sure enough, going into consulting was a completely new and, uh, you know, unexpected field. I, I really didn't know what to expect, but I got introduced to a lot of really interesting software tools and then thought, what could I do next? Right. And that's, that's when I found MoveWeb and, um, decided to become a mobile developer and really focus on, on how to build mobile websites and apps. And so. Uh, that's that's how one thing led to another. What kind of consulting were you doing before then? I worked with companies that implemented SAP tools. So I was at Accenture, and I noticed the work varied from, you know, more of the business side of things all the way to actual technical questions. And I found more motivated. I was more motivated by the technical things. So I started veering towards a group that, focused on technology development, it was the Accenture Technology Labs. And so I was part of that group. Um, and I didn't quite know how to program in any languages other than a little bit of MATLAB, um, but I felt intrigued. And that's when I met a really good friend of mine there who said, hey, do you want to build a website? And I told him, I'm not a CS guy. I, I don't think I can build a website. <laughs> and this friend of mine, his name is Josiah Guo really great friend. He said, yeah, me neither, but you want to give it a shot? And I said, sure. And so we started learning Ruby on Rails together. And, uh, and that was really, really great. I mean, it's there's so much support online for Ruby. Um, Rails is a great platform that, again, the community is, is just great. Oh, I know I know how that can suck you in. And, you know, having the combination of the community and the engaging technology um, it, it can completely captivate you. I'm curious, what made you decide to start thinking about going back to school and in this case, studying business? Because that seems unrelated to a lot of the things you were studying before. Yeah. So being at MoveWeb, um, you know, a few of the guys there ha had been to Stanford Business School, um, you know, CEO Ajay and uh, Laurent and a couple others in Tarun. When when I was there at MoveWeb, I I heard them talking constantly about oh do you remember the you know the good times when we were at business school mm -hmm. uh, at Stanford and and I had been at Stanford studying mechanical engineering but you know everything they were talking about didn't sound like the experience I had you know I <laughs> I studied my butt off and you know really uh, I, I worked very hard I'm not saying I'm not working very hard now <laughs> right your professors may be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> the program sounded very different than mechanical engineering, you know, two phenomenal of the best programs in the world, uh, but different focuses. And so the social aspect of the business school and, um, you know, not, not just networking, but the ability to, to open up relationships within a broader audience uh, sounded really appealing to me. And so, you know, I thought I'd love Stanford. I had an amazing time there. I was only there for a year and a half during my master's, uh, what can I do to get back? And so the, the picture ended up looking a lot like business school. 
you know, I asked Ajay and, and he was supportive of the idea. Um, and so I applied and, uh, and that was sort of the, the shift. So how has your social life evolved then since you've, since you've been going back? So I've learned a lot about how to, how to better engage with, with different people. Like I said, this class, uh, interpersonal dynamics, affectionately known as touchy feely. <laughs> I have heard of that. The touchy feely class at Stanford. Okay. Yes. So that, yeah, that's the class. And, uh, you know, some people love it. A few hate it. Um, I think it's a great class. I think it really has taught me how to have more meaningful and more important interactions um, and more congruent. I think the word congruent is is really interesting. I think folks a lot of times, for fear of making someone else feel bad, they'll they'll say something they don't actually feel. Um, and I think that incongruence can lead to anxiety on on the part of uh, the opposite party. So. You know, I've really learned to, to respect directness. If somebody, you know, is telling me, hey, um, this is what I think, this is what I feel, uh, I've learned to really respect that. And so in terms of my network, I've certainly expanded the reach of it. I've met a ton of amazing people. You know, there's there's 400 in, in my class. Sort of your cohort is the one that's central to your experience. That's wonderful. And I know you're also putting yourself out there. You recently gave a talk yourself. So through the venture studio at the business school, we've been really wanting to expand sort of this, you know, notion that entrepreneurship is an important theme at business school, but there are a lot of things that you really do learn only when you do a venture. And so this is where the, the talk I gave really was a summary of what I've learned at Jobber, what I've learned at Color Zen, uh, and a lot of my classmates have you know, reached out to me and said, Hey, Alex, like, I'd love to, you know, pick your brain for 30 minutes about this, um, which is great. And I love talking to my classmates, but I thought, what if I gave a talk, you know, to 60, 70 people, um, could they benefit from that? And so the, the demand was there and, uh, the venture studio has been great in helping organize this. So I gave a talk on different startup tools that companies, you know, early stage companies can, can find useful uh, and then I also did a technology overview talk, which basically just summarizes what different tools in terms of programming languages you'd want, depending on what type of product you're building. If it's software, um, you know, there's this uh, difference between mobile web versus, you know, native apps. And so a lot of times people um, seem to forget that an app doesn't have to be a native app, right? It's sort of an application is anything that, that, you know, any bit of software that runs. And so um, going through that stuff in that talk was great. <laughs> yeah, I saw you, uh, you recommended and discussed, it looked like you discussed a lot of tools. I had the opportunity to go through your slides. The, the slides feature lots of products, but certainly there are way more out there. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, my talk, I, I made sure to, to note that in the slides because during the talk, I, I mentioned that, but um, you know, these are just some of the tools in the slides that I've personally used either through Jobber or through Color Zen and I've found useful. Certainly there are many more out there and perhaps even better ones, but you know, it's, it's tough to keep up with all the latest tools. I feel like every single day you have a new one pop up. <laughs> no, it is absolutely constantly changing. 
Um, and, you know, of course, one, one thing that doesn't change is pen and paper. And it sounds like you're more of a pen and paper kind of a guy yourself. Yeah. I can always count on that. Are, are there tools and technologies that you like to use to keep you organized in your personal life? Yeah. Uh, in my personal life, um, I... I find Trello as a uh, alternative to pen and paper pretty useful. You can just jot down, you know, kind of the tasks for the day. Um, Slack is a tool that that I absolutely love. I I have five or six teams on Slack. You know, whether it might be Jobber or Color Zen or a group project for school, um, or or even a, a channel where I talk to some investors that. Um, you know, that are actively involved in some of the things I'm doing right now. Uh, Slack is a great tool. Um, I think it's, it's phenomenal for communicating. And so through Caller Zen, I found it to be a great opportunity to connect Caller Zen with, with Slack to provide that as another benefit to, you know, customers that want to do SMS support. Basically, this pings our Slack channel. I think that the tie-in is is great, and it's very much like the uh, the Tinder jobber thing. It's the sort of thing that gets right into the minds of where the people you're targeting are right now. Yeah, exactly. And so, thanks to that, I've I've actually gotten a handful of leads just through the Slack app directory, which has been which has been great. I, I have really high hopes for for that. So, where do you see this going in a year, like uh, or six months? How what's what is your time frame for this? For Caller Zen? Yeah, for Caller Zen, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm really excited. I think being still being in school has actually been more of a help than, you know, certainly time is, <laughs> is important. But, um, you know, despite the fact that I've been working on a bunch of things sort of at the same time, I think the op- launch of product while in school has been incredibly helpful. So I've been able to get a lot of feedback from, you know, folks in my class, um, I've gotten a handful of leads from, you know, students that have graduated a year before us, uh, that are interested in using the product. And so using this time, you know, one of our professors calls it the use the student card. Uh, you know, especially if you're talking to new potential customers, new companies that might want to use it, you could say, Hey, I'm, you know, you could even say I'm doing a research project for school. If it's what it takes for them to, you know, take your call, then uh, use it to your advantage was, was one of the theories Professor had. But very clever, um, very clever. Yeah, uh, you know, for me, I think um, Caller Zen has a very, a very clear need in the market, um, and I think the question is how can a product like this tie into the existing workflow. Um, I think there are a handful of companies out there that could do what Caller Zen is doing. Um, you know, and by all means, I encourage them to. Uh, I think the the vision behind this is really how do you how do you connect with this next generation of people that you know will just not call your company. Uh, that they, they will they would rather not do business with you if they had to call you. Um, and so I think it's important to capture that and identify the value of being able to talk to your customers via text or, you know, via WhatsApp or Facebook. Um, I think those are, you know, equally interesting channels that I would love to, you know, tap into their APIs if, if they would open them. 
<laughs> so it sounds like you've got a few directions to take this in that are very clearly laid out by the audience that's already using it. Right. That's excellent. I, I wanted to ask you also, what uh, you know, do you model yourself after anybody? Do you have any role models who you keep in mind? Because you're out there, you're becoming this serial entrepreneur while you're still a student. I'm, I'm wondering uh, if there are people who, whom, you, whom you model yourself after. Yeah, I would say in, in my um, immediate personal life, you know, uh, my sister is incredibly smart, incredibly hardworking. Um, I certainly look up to her. She uh, She's an Olympic gymnast. She went to uh, both Athens and Beijing. Wow. Uh, in, you know, I'm incredibly proud brother. Um, you know, my mom and dad both... Uh, incredibly entrepreneurial and and thoughtful so i certainly look up to them in terms of you know celebrity figures um i'm really motivated by elon musk's uh kind of you know mindset of getting a lot of things done right he's he's a guy who you know started with a, a software company and is now doing and almost everything under the sun in hardware, right? Launching rockets and, and building cars. Um, so I, I certainly aspire to to have an impact like that in my future. <laughs> that is a, that's a great aspiration. So tell me where people can find you online if the, if they want to follow up. Sure. Uh, so CallerZen is uh, CallerZen.com. And uh, if they want to find me personally, my Twitter is at Alex D. Simone. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate your coming on the show. And I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of what you had to say today. Glad to hear that. Thanks so much, Em, and anytime. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.